Welcome everyone to the fifth episode of Head in the Game podcast. We're joined by the man of many talents. He's a heart of gold and he's Mr. Chairman Dean Pingu Arrowsmith. How's everything, Dean? All good, Steph. How are you, brother? Yeah, not too bad. Not too bad. I suppose, I suppose like, look, we've both have the jerseys on, so we am going to start, start ahead in the game. Yeah, uh, yeah. Um, so, yeah, I suppose, look, it's been... Uh, it's a privilege to come on and chat, you know, and kind of tell my story today. Um, obviously, as you said at the start, there I'm the chairman of uh, of heading the game, which is which is probably the biggest privilege I've had in a long, long time. And I think it's just important. We were just saying before we come on, this is episode five. Um, we've asked some great people to come on and chat with us about their experiences with with mental health and setbacks in life and stuff. So I think it's just important as the chairman of the of the group that I. I also kind of share my story as as you know and anyone that probably follows me on social media. I've had a bit of a, a tough go of it over the last six months or so. So I think it's look, it's an opportunity to kind of tell my side of the story and how I'm getting through that, you know. But um, but yeah, so talking about heading the game, I mean, we're coming up, I think it's the end of July. Um it was the end of July of 2020 and Dundalk was kind of the town was rocked very hard by the the passing of Harry Taff. Um, in uh, I think it was the last weekend in July, and you know I think me and you and, and other people and and other people that are on the committee now, you know, we were all sharing hashtags. You know, it's okay not to be okay, and it was devastating. And um, it's just the, the way that I kind of looked at it at the time, and there was a little bit of anger because I, I and we'll speak about it in a little bit. I I lost my uncle to suicide in two thousand and seventeen, and it's like what happens when the hashtagging stops? You know, what happens the day after that or the day after the funeral when everybody kind of goes about their normal life, you know, and they forget about this person and, and they forget about mental health and stuff. So I think myself and yourself and a couple other lads were very um, vocal about Harry and we were chatting back and forth. And I kind of, I think it would have been either yourself or Aidan Larkin, that's also, he's the vice chairman of the committee. I reached out to Bodie in around that time. And I said, look, I want to do something here. You know, I've been advocating for mental health for a while, but I want to do something. And I think within the football community, whether it's players, supporters, managers, volunteers, anyone involved in the sport, particularly now during during the COVID era where we we couldn't get to games. And I know you still can't get to the games. Hopefully in the next few weeks you will. But it's just, it's, it's hard for people, you know, and... And in, in football terms, people involved in football and, and you can probably talk a little bit from your experience in the dressing room staff is yeah. nobody, nobody at all talks about their problems. You know, to, to talk about your problems is seen or has been seen as a sign of weakness. So so I, I, I got chatting with you lads and, and Steve and Todd. We, we brought him on later and we, we had a couple of other lads, Sean Han, Jay McKeown that were involved in the beginning. Um, and we just said, look, at what, what can we do? Can we bang our heads together, you know, and, and do something? And we said, look, we'll, we'll start some campaign where the primary focus at the time was to get supporters talking. Um, so I wrote, the day after Harry passed, I wrote a poem called The Floodlights, which people may have seen. I shared it in the group chat to you lads, and I was afraid of my life that you're probably going to call <laughs> me an idiot like, for writing it. But, uh, you know, Harry... Or sorry, after that, yeah, after that, you, you all thought it was great. And I said, look, what if we got supporters from every club to, to say a line and then we can we can put it together as a video and launch it? And at this stage, we hadn't even got the name heading again when that idea kind of came up. Yeah. Um, so we, at the very beginning, we were kind of just putting 
banging our heads together to come up with something. We come up with heading the game anyway. And in the meantime, we got supporters from from different clubs, a variety of different clubs. We got Andy Reid to read the first line of the poem. We had uh, James McLean um, to say a line of the poem. We had Megan Campbell, so we had three international players as well. We had Con Murphy, who does a lot of commentating and is the former Soccer Republic uh, Soccer Republic host to say a line uh, as well as the supporters and we threw that out I think it was the beginning of September after we had already like we had already established heading the game as a name and I think we, I, I went out for a run because I was afraid, again I was afraid of my life that, uh, yeah. Yeah. of how it would be received you know but I think we got I'm, I'm going to say within a week I think it had reached it was 250,000 people between Facebook and Twitter because we had, I think we only maybe set up our Instagram account that week after we'd already released the video. But on those two pl- platforms, it was 250. I think on Twitter, it was 200,000 people reached or something like that there, which was, I think we all were like, this is, this is nuts. You know, like I think within the first hour, it was something like 10,000 people had, had viewed it, you know, which, which was absolutely, look, it was amazing at the time. And, um, from there we kind of just uh, and I'm sure you'll agree we kind of realised look we're, we're on to something here you know we, yeah. we've got something and it captured the imagination I, like, me, me and you would be friends with people within League of Ireland you know players within the League of Ireland circle and one would be Brian Gartland who would have been very close to, to Harry as well and I know both of us have spoke to him about heading the game and he said like how important it is what we're doing you know and it's been anybody involved in the League of Ireland game has said to us that this is you know what we're doing is great work so from there I suppose um, after the video we kind of got bashed our heads together again and what else to do and, and we've done a fundraiser for November well you lads did I didn't want to shave um, <laughs> but there was a fundraiser for November and we raised money Monaghan Town raised money I think it was three grand between both um, both fundraisers were raised for the charities at around that time as well, I, I had reached out to Umbro um, about potentially getting jerseys made, which thankfully uh, we have them now. Oh, and, 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 and at that point, we realised, look, uh, this is this is getting too big for six lads from the dog to carry. You know the the response we were getting across the board. So we um, we in, in January of this year, in January of twenty twenty one, we kind of uh, put out an expression of interest for people that wanted to join the committee, and we have people now from two from Cork. One chap uh, based out of Sligo, another from Longford, um, and it's just kind of look. It's grown from there um, this year in terms of just getting our outreach. We have uh, we've obviously Drogheda United uh, named their ground named United Park, the Hidden Game Park, which for for Dundalk lads, it, it was a tough one. It's tough one to give them credit to, but no, to be fair, it was look. It was it was absolutely amazing what they done for our uh, our campaign and. That really, I think, legitimised us in in League of Ireland circles of what we're doing. Um, after that, then we had uh, we launched the jersey then in April, and I think within, correct me if I'm wrong, I think it was within five hours we completely sold out of, of the jerseys that we got, and we were all worried we weren't going to yeah. sell enough, you know. But uh, you know, uh, uh, on top of all that kind of stuff, we've also like I've ran webinars um, based around for grassroots coaches because we're we're getting people from within, just within the game of football back home. You know, we're getting people just within the game of football that want to get involved and want to support what we're doing, want to learn more about mental health and football. You're constantly, I think every day, you're getting uh, Twitter DMs asking yeah. for people that want to get involved in what we're doing, you know? So yeah. it's just, we're still at an infancy, but in 
in probably what nine nine ten months this has grown to be something huge and it's only going to get bigger you know and it's I speak for I'm speaking on behalf of you and all the rest of the lads I think we're all just privileged to be in the position because none of us expected to get it like this but it's been amazing to see so many people actually talking um, openly about their mental health kind of since we've established within the game of football yeah I think there's definitely a sense of pride from like myself and I'm sure everyone's the same like even people just talking about it and then it's just about getting normalizing talking about your mental health how are you are you okay are you really okay like asking the second time and stuff which like all the other stuff comes together but it seems to be really helping people which is which is the main goal of the group and look it seems to be going from strength to strength and we're getting more requests people want to help us out and it's just just a privilege to be proud of like you like you have mentioned like though uh, I think we can all be proud of it and uh, hopefully it keeps moving forward now yeah and I forgot to mention you know even this this month because uh, we're recording this just if anybody's watching it back we're, it's Mental Health Awareness Month in May so we've managed to partner with the FEI and the League of Ireland that all captains are wearing ahead in the game captain's armband for this month so again it, it just spreads awareness of what we're doing so that now we're at a point as a committee that we're starting to now put a roadmap together of what we want to achieve, what we want to do. Can we do more stuff where we can educate people or can we work with our partners, Shine and Jigsaw, um, two fantastic charity partners. Can we work with them on getting that outreach around mental health and educating coaches, educating supporters, just, just about mental health, you know, and yeah. it's not all about mental illness. It's about mental health and it's about having positive mental health as well as positive physical health. And, and I think, Sport and football always promotes the physical health. So hopefully we can start leading the change that now we can start talking about positive mental health as well. Yeah, because obviously you can't see if somebody's struggling, you can hide it well, like as as opposed to someone physically being sick. So look, hopefully it normalizes it and um we just keep moving forward. So but um look, we wanna wanna talk a bit about yourself. So I suppose if we just jump back a few years. A good few years <laughs> to to look when you started in your coaching career. I suppose you you came up to college uh, in Dundalk here, and I said, yeah, what what college course did you? Something around Rob? Uh, yeah, it was it was community sports leadership I done in Dundalk. But even look at if I go a little bit further back, Steph. Um, I when I was playing football, I wasn't very good, uh, and part of that I've realised now is due to my inability to play decent, but it's also due to not having good coaches that kind of build you up, you know? So yeah. I think it was a month after my 16th birthday, um, all I wanted to do was coach. I used to go down and watch the, the FEI summer schools when I got too old to kind of take part. And I'd just sit and watch the coaches doing their sessions and stuff like that. And I think it was, yeah, it was about a month after I turned 16, uh, the opportunity to do the FEI kickstart one up. I actually, it was up on the dock. Um, I think it was in the Red Namara at the time. And I took part in that and just fell in love with the game. You know, I'd done my kickstart one, I think probably six months later, I'd done my kickstart two um, and just started coaching straight away. I was coaching Coothill Harps down in Cav and, and on the 15 team at the age of, I think it was 17, um, just turned 17 when I took over the the under 15 team there and I had success because they were a good team, you know, but it was good yeah. for me as a coach because when you have a team that, that has that little bit of success and you're close enough in age and, and you, you know this, you know, playing even in junior football when you're friends with who's coaching you and stuff it just it gives you that buzz um, kind of coaching your mates and things like that there 
so I, I done that and I went to college then and um, in DKIT I was studying uh, community sports leadership I, again I just I struggled a little bit in college being completely honest and and this is something that in the kind of build up to this conversation when we were talking about mental health it would have been the first kind of time in my life where I was really affected by my mental health at one point so in my first year in college I was involved just during the week in, in a in a car crash. I crashed into the back of somebody. Um, the person said they were fine, and then there was a couple other people in the car with me, and we called nine nine nine, and they said, "Look, we're going to send out an ambulance anyway in case anybody's in shock." Even though both look both cars were fine. Yeah. <clears throat> and when we got there, the person that was in the car that I hit actually fell out the door of the car and said they weren't fine and fainted and you know, we're threatening, obviously, to make a, a big insurance claim against me at, at the time. And I struggled for a little bit after that. And I, it was only when, when me and you were talking about setting up this chat that I realized back in college, and I, I honest to God, Steph, I didn't remember this. Back in college, I went to probably three or four counseling sessions after right, that crash. Okay. And, I, and I never I never even, you know, it just completely it was in the back of my head. And that, w- that would have been my first, um, my first kind of instance around mental health. And to be honest, my college, like my studies suffered a little bit kind of after that and I never got going again. You know, the, the only the only class that I would have had 100% attendance in in my three years in college was was the, the soccer coaching. You know, yeah. it was soccer yeah. coaching every, every Friday, which, you know, after Thursday nights, it'd be hard to go on a Friday, but I never missed it. I never missed it. Um, that was, it was Exactly. It was with Tom Owen, uh, Tom Owen and Mick Neville, two great fellas who I have an awful lot of time for. Um, would have you know Tom, Tom especially I would have kind of done my coaching apprenticeship under Tom Mohan because he was the regional development officer for Calvin and Monaghan um, so to learn from someone like that you know was amazing um, and then I, I didn't pass my second year in college I repeated second year didn't have a great repeating year and the opportunity came to go to America for the first time uh, so I had me F- I just completed my FAI youth cert and I said look I'll, I'll go out for six months to, to Chicago at the age of, I think I just turned 20 at that stage. Um, and the day, the day I got to Chicago, I was counting down until the day I got home. <laughs> you know, to be honest, like it was, just, it was hard as a, as a young lad going out there, but it, look, it's a good experience. And thankfully living out here now, it's, it's stood me in good stead, you know? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So, so look, you've, you've set up roots out there and you've, you've probably went to a couple of different coaching, co- coaching like uh, opportunities out there. So, how did you how did you find like jumping from like obviously it's a different lifestyle out there, even wider food wise. How did you how did you find the adjustment? So so back then it was tough because I, I think I moved out here in, in two thousand and nine. It would have been around July time, and July would be probably about thirty five degrees in Chicago uh, every day of the week. You know, you wake up and it's thirty degrees in the morning as soon as you get out of bed and stuff, and it was just. As a pasty little fellow who grew up in Calvin, I mean, it's hard, you know, but uh, no, it, it was tough. Again, like even just drinking laws out here, you had to be 21 to go get a drink, like to be able to drink out here. So I just found socially it was a little bit tough and it was probably only, it was probably only towards the last month or so of my time out here that I really started enjoying it. And I had every intention of coming back um, the following year in 2010. Um, and then I had an opportunity to to come in with Dundalk um, at the time, you know. So I ended up going in with Dundalk for a week. Ian Foster was the manager, and his um, sorry, sorry to go back just a little bit. I I had, since two thousand and seven, I had piloted the schools program for Dundalk with uh, Paul Johnson was the club promotion officer. 
Yeah. And um, I piloted it in the Gale Skull and the Dock and just gradually built it from there. It was a purely voluntary basis. Um, so I had a good relationship with Paul. And by in 2010, when Ian Foster came in as manager, he the first week of pre-season, his wife, um, the day before he was meant to come in, his wife gave birth to their son, Jude. And it was Wayne Hatswell was the assistant manager and Hats, Hats was going to be there on his own. So I got a call on a Sunday night from Paul Johnson just saying, could you come up and give a hand, you know, just for, for a day or two. Yeah. And I come up, it was pretty much all I was doing was just putting putting down cones, you know, for Hats for the week. Um, and I ended up staying there for three years. <laughs> <laughs> but it was, uh, look, that, that was an experience. And that kind of put America on the back burner for a little while. But as a, again, as a 20, 21 year old, having an opportunity to be involved in, a professional setup because at the time Fozzie and Hats made that professional you know it was morning training it was all the players like I would have I, I ended up becoming the kit man and you end up washing, washing the kit every day and stuff like that but just being around full-time professional players like that is probably the best experience I've had in my career to date you know yeah yeah like like players coming over even the top League of Ireland players would have been around at that time so look even just in day-to-day watching them how to walk how to operate, how to talk, like a, like you said, it would have been a massive, massive experience for for anybody, anybody coming in at any level. So, look, I suppose um, moving moving on from then, your time at the North then came came to an end, uh, and then was the net was your thoughts straight away going towards back to the states, or how did you feel around that time? Um, so even when I was with Dundalk staff, to be honest. America was always in the back of my head and I think every year I ended up going back in 2015 but every year until 2015 I applied to come back and I didn't actually do it until then but uh, I you know I, I was involved as I say with the dog and then 2012 I I'd finally um, the first two years I was there I was, I was still collecting the dole and the club was giving me a little bit of petrol money you know to come up and down from Calvin every day Um yeah. Which you know, if you're a calf man, you're not gonna uh, you're not gonna say no to a little bit of petrol money. But uh, then 2012, I got prom- I, like I I got a full time position as club promotion officer. It just happened to happen uh, to get that job in the middle of probably the worst season in Dundalk's history. Um, financially, the the previous owner or the previous owner at the time just wanted he he wanted gone, you know, and he wasn't going to invest any more of his money. He was a property developer. It was in the middle of the recession, you know, so. Yeah, he didn't. He didn't have the money, and it was two days after my brother got married. I got called in and got laid off. Um, at the time, and you know, I didn't didn't hold any grudges around staff. I mean, I was disappointed at the time, uh, devastated because it was it was a dream job, and um, you go and a month later, the club almost went out of business because they weren't able to pay the players' wages. And I think at the time, the rule was if you can't play, if you can't pay wages two weeks, I think it was two weeks in a season, then the team or the club goes into administration. So myself again and Aiden, Aiden, who's the vice chairman for this, and a, and a group of fans got together and we said, look, again, we can't make this happen. I'm, ju- I'm a justice warrior. Yeah. <laughs> but I said, look, I said, we can't let this happen. So we established the Save Our Club Committee. And we started running fundraisers with the sole reason that if the club at the time couldn't afford to play to pay wages, they could contact us and we would we would give money that we've raised. But we didn't hand over any money until the club needed money, you know, for the rest yeah. of the season. And thankfully, you know, that that worked out pretty well, and the club ended up getting new owners and they had the success that they've they've had in in the last eight years, you know. But 
2013, I was supposed to go in full time as Stephen Kenny's uh, kit man again. I was going to go back into the kit man role under Stephen Kenny. Yeah. And at the time, I just all I wanted, Steph, was I wanted the club to give me a wage, and I wasn't asking for a lot. You know, I, I wasn't asking for much money, and I even asked if they could put me on a scheme and keep me yes. in there as kit man. You know, and for for whatever reason, I look at it, it just didn't work out. Um, and I walked away, which which that killed me as well. You know, walking away from from somewhere that probably for the best part of the three years I was in there seven days a week, not going up. I I went at say six months. I, I probably went to two games in six months um, at, during that time. And I remember around that time, the first game of that season in 2013, I think it was against Shamrock Rovers at home. And I was sponsoring, I had agreed as I was leaving, I was going to sponsor Stephen O'Donnell. Yeah. So I went and got, um, I went into Oriel that day and I got a picture with Stephen O'Donnell and I left. I didn't even stay for the game. And that weekend, being honest, again, just like, again, I, I'm aware of this conversation about mental health and I think it's important that I talk about kind of my experience like that. That weekend um, was probably the closest I ever came to seriously considering taking my own life, um, which, you know, again, just when, when I was thinking about this conversation that we were going to have, I think it's important that I say that, you know, and yeah. I, thankfully I didn't, you know, um, but that weekend, I mean, that season was just tough and I, I lashed out at people that ended up becoming involved in the club at the time. And I just, I just, I was very bitter around that time, you know, because I, I wasn't just working in the club. I also then was part of that Save Our Club. And I think some of that work that we done was a little bit discredited when, when the new owners come in, not by the new owners, but just by other people that maybe were involved in the club. And I just found that very hard to take, you know, and... Uh, probably wrongly on my part, you know, because when it's new people come in and again, you know, this as a player, it's, it, you're very easily forgotten about, you know, yeah. and it's, it, that, that, but that's tough, you know, it's tough, like, and it's tough as a player, it's tough as a person when you're involved in it every day. Um, so yeah, so after that, um, I kind of got myself, got my act together and I started, again, I applied for America, just circumstances didn't work out in 2013. I, I thought I was going to go then and, I, I wasn't able, I was kind of held back with stuff at home. Um, and I, I started working in a local bookies down in, down in my hometown at Coothill. Worst job I've ever had in my life. Um, and it's not, it's, not the, it's not the job itself, it's not the, what I'm doing. It was just working in a local bookies in a small, tiny little town of, of 1,500 people and you have to deal with people that's losing money all the time or you have to, you know, you're going out for a pint yeah. and you're, you're looking at a fella then who's angry at you because he put money on a horse that didn't win and I was yeah. grabbed by the throat some nights I was out uh, over not giving someone the price they wanted on a fiver five bet that didn't win. You know why I didn't give them the price that they wanted at the time and it was just, it, that was a tough time uh, as well. Um, and then eventually, look, 2015, I bit the bullet and I decided look, I have to get out of that that profession and I have to get out of my town so I, I moved back to Chicago then yeah just uh, touching back I suppose like you, you're in a dark place at the time and thankfully for everyone for everyone involved and everyone that knows you, you you've come through it and you've, you've come out stronger I suppose on the other side of it and um, just like touching back and at it just a little bit I, I suppose was it was it a combination of a lot of things just building up towards it did you just seem like you you'd know where to turn. What, what was your thinking like at the time of it? Yeah, it was kind of like, you know, I'd say a lot of it stemmed back even from when I got laid off in the club back in May 2012. And, and that, 
rejection. You know what I mean? Not rejection, because yeah. it was somewhere where I just was all the time. And as I'm sure as I taken it personally, like yeah, I know, even though, I know from well, even though I, I understood, you know, I, I understood completely um, what was what the reason was behind it and stuff. It was purely budget cuts, you know, because two weeks two weeks prior to me getting laid off, I had raised I think it was seven thousand in profit for the club doing a fundraiser, take me out fundraiser in the, in the YDC, you know. So it was nothing to do with my work because I, I was I was doing what my remit said. I was making the club money. It was just a case of the club that money has to go to the first team, you know. Yeah. Every, Anybody that's listening to this that has ever had any involvement in the League of Ireland club would understand that, you know, because I was just the lucky one at the time that I wasn't volunteering it, I was getting paid to do it. Um, and then we done the Save Our Club and it was just, it was, it was the same job I was doing pretty much. Save Our Club was exactly what I was doing when I was getting paid. I just wasn't getting paid anymore for it, which I have no issue with. And I would, I would do it again tomorrow if the circumstances were similar and I was living at home, but it's, in 2013, I was taking part in a Strictly Come Dancing for Cooley, Cooley Kickums, um, a fundraiser for them. And I got offered a job as Stephen Kenny's kit man. I told Stephen straight away, you know, I've, I've made this commitment. And it was the same night, I believe, as the Malone Cup, uh, the Malone Cup that season. And Stephen was a little bit taken aback by it. I, I always felt like he appreciated the fact, you know, that I was honest with him. Yeah. But then there was there was other people involved in the club saying you know we told Dean that he couldn't do that which was which was a lie you know so it kind of fractured my relationship with Stephen a little bit that he didn't think I was being completely honest with him and things like that but yeah. it was it was just at a point look I, I think in 2013 at the start of that season stuff I just don't feel like I don't feel like I belonged anymore and that's hard that's hard to accept as I say you you probably know exactly how that feels um. Yeah. And I just, uh, I just didn't feel like I belonged, and I and I walked away. And the fact that I made that decision just killed me. You know that I had to walk away, and it was just, it was tough. It was a tough time, and it probably took me, yeah, it took me, I'd say six months to get over that fact. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a tough pill to swallow. Like you're get you're you're getting turned away from your, your your own club and the club you love. Like from a playing side of things, like it was tough to take on my side as well. Um. But look, move, moving on to, uh, like, obviously you, you ended that chapter and you moved out to the States. You, you had a bit of a feel from uh, from your previous time and I suppose it was probably exciting moving over. I know you still had, you had, like, baggage here where you were sort of leaving it behind and starting afresh to go over there. Like, uh, how how'd you find settling in, going back? Did you go back to the same sort of place you were in or what way did you go about? Yeah, well, it was a, it was a lot. It was a lot better that time. I think it was probably mid mid two thousand fourteen or towards the end of two thousand fourteen, two thousand fifteen. So just just before I went to America, I was I, I was coaching my mates. I was coaching a senior team for the first time at the age of twenty five. All my mates and I loved it. And pardon me. Um, I so just again, I I just want to keep kind of on the trajectory of mental health as well. So yeah, I just want to I want to bring it up. Um. I had a cyst on one of my testicles. So I had a lump on one of my testicles for about, I'd say I knew it was there for about two and a half years and I never done anything about it. And, and this probably goes back to a little bit 2013 as well. So I, ha I had that worry in the back of my head for two and a half years and never said that to nobody. And one night, probably late 2014, I was in the smoking area of a pub chatting to one of my mates and I just started crying. And I just yeah. started bawling and I told him that I, I have a lump on one of my testicles, you know? And yeah. The next day, I and he he was going through a tough time. One of his mates had passed away as well, so the two of us were down the back of a smoking area of a pub. The two of us were just bawling, you know. But 
I tell you what, Steph, the relief that I felt that day after, you know, just that I opened up to someone about it, because that was three and two and a half, three years of of just something on my shoulders, you know what I mean? Something just a weight of something that just felt like it was lifted. And I went into a doctor, I think two days later, and he was like, oh, yeah, it's only a cyst, but we'll send you for an ultrasound just to make sure. And yeah. That, thankfully, that's what it turned out to be. Um, and after that, I just felt, I felt a little bit better on myself, you know. Um, the only thing that was getting me down was the job you know, work at work. And it was, as I say, it wasn't even the job itself. It was just doing the job in my town. Um, so the opportunity arose to come back to America. And I was like, if I don't go now at the age of 25, I'm not going to go. You know what I mean? I'm not going to get the chance to go. So I came back out. Um, I worked at, I moved in with the family that I stayed with because you live in digs when you're out here. So I moved in with the, with the same family I stayed with in 2009. Um, unbelievable like my second family you know really really good people and I ended up I ended up staying at the club where I'm, I'm currently at I'm the director of coaching at now and it was just the, the minute I got back I was like yeah this is this is this is the decision for me it's coaching full-time um you're coaching it's a youth youth program but you're coaching like it's, this is my job I'm a professional soccer coach you know what I mean like this is this is what I want to do and and thankfully it's kind of stood me in good stead yeah no it's like like you said, you, you felt at home and the, the family you moved in with probably made you feel comfortable and made you feel wanted something, something not that you didn't have it at home, but you, you had that many things that was sort of pulling you down that this was a release, even like getting getting the um you know the health the health scale clear, like with a lifted lift you up, weight off your shoulders sort of thing. So um yeah, no, you've 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 created a career for yourself and sure look how long are you over there now? It's been a good few years and you're still happy coaching away yeah i'm six years here now um happily married and everything you know so uh, yeah. i don't think i was ever gonna find a woman in cabin so uh but yeah 2017 i met emily and, and thankfully like that was just it sounds like a cliche and you'll probably slag me when we get off the call but it's changed my life you know what i mean yeah. since, since the day that i met her it's uh it's been life-changing you know and, and for the for the most part it's been for the better um she's just brilliant and it, it she pushes me to to continue my education and my job and you know go through the coaching licenses she just she's class you know yeah yeah that's it when you meet someone that, that you're a complete match with it just makes you a better person as well so fair play to emily you know she yeah she, she's drug you along <laughs> yeah but, uh, no yeah Sorry, no it's it's fantastic that um look you've you've went out there you had to go all the way to chicago to find to find a wife but no it's great to see you happy and um about like looking back then you t- you touched on your uncle a little bit um it's been it's been i know just from knowing you personally it's been tough for you being stuck in chicago when when your uncle was here and he passed away if, if you want to just say a little bit about it yeah so when even when i was living in Dundalk, i would have been very very close to my uncle um my uncle Andy Califf was his name. So Andy was an avid runner um, in the dog circle, big Liverpool fan. He'd wreck your head about Liverpool all the time. But he was a very, very avid runner and very active in the running community and everything, you know. And I'd be living on the dock. And kind of when I started going on this kind of weight loss buzz back in 2010, probably 2011, I'd go out for walks and I'd meet him. You know, I'd meet him every every morning. He'd be walking his dog champ and he was just, I don't even know if you know him, but he was just this larger than life character. Yeah. You know, you, I, I don't think in my whole life, I've never seen him in a bad mood. And um, The last time I spoke to him was over text on, I think it was 
since Stephen's Day 2016. And I had just ran my first ever 5K um, in November and Thanksgiving that year. And he um, he said to me, oh, we'll do the Chicago Marathon at some stage. Right? I said that to him and he said, yeah, he said, hopefully we'll do it someday. And then March 27th rolled around and seven o'clock in the morning in Chicago time, I got a phone call from my father to say that uh, my uncle had taken his own life, you know. Um, and I was just, it was, look, I, I was devastated. I mean, as, as anyone would be. Um, and it's just, you just, you can never understand it, you know, similar to Harry Taff, where it's these people that you only see the good side of them, you know, you only see the happy side, you only see the side that wants to go out and help people and they're struggling themselves. And it's just, even today, you think to yourself, like, what, what, what Uncle Andy would have, you know, if he hadn't just spoke out what he would have done, because he had so much, like at his funeral, so much love for him, you know what I mean? There was so much outpouring of love. And it was just, it was devastating. And, and during that time, my my visa was in like, not that I was living out in Chicago illegally, but I was in a situation where if I went home, I was probably going to have to wait 12 months to come back again, just because I was on a visa extension. And yeah. I, I wouldn't have been able to go home and then come back out like as soon as I would have touched down in Dublin my visa would have became null and void so I would have had to apply for a new one so talking to my family they were like you can't come home you have to stay out there and I, you know I have friend, I have a lot of friends out here and I myself and Emily were, were seeing each other probably three or four months at that stage but you feel very lo- alone you know you feel very very alone at the time and I, I felt I felt very alone um, and it was just look it was it was just it's, it's tough and I mean you spend your life looking for answers and you just want people you want people to look for help um, and since since that you know like ever since the day he died I've been advocating for mental health you know I think the, the following week I was doing my second ever race it was my longest distance at the time a five miler and I got a t-shirt made he used to always say TikTok two weeks to go to the race it, it, that's why he was actually known as TikTok so I got a t-shirt made with TikTok and I done the race Um I done the race that day, and the first uh, the first song that came on was I think uh, there's an Irish band I don't think they're together anymore, Walking on Cars, but they had a song called TikTok, and that, when I put on my Spotify, that was the first song that came on that day, you know. So it was like little message from, um, but yeah, that time was just it, it was honestly stuff was it was a very very tough time for me, and I'm just again talking about Emily. Emily was my savior through it, you know. She was, yeah. she was my rock through that time. I, I gained a lot of weight, um over that summer and I, I even I ran a half marathon. I probably gained I'd say about three stone uh, in the build up to the half marathon and everything. And it was a, at a point not where I was drinking too much, but I was just eating. I, I was I wasn't looking after myself, you know, even though yeah. I was training for something. Yeah. And then November the same year my my granddad passed away. So it would have been Uncle Andy's father, you know, my granddad Callum. So 2017 was just it was it was look it was a very, very tough year and um, I kind of just after that I said I was going to advocate for mental health and I was going to do what I could to kind of to kind of push mental health and I've been doing it ever since and I do it through me running now I, I hardly drink I try to eat as healthy as I can throughout the week and that um, and I just run and you know that that's my way of getting through it you know that's my way of coping and keeping myself uh, my head busy yeah um, just going back like going back to your your uncle Andy I didn't know him personally but like like many many from Dundalk like everyone knew of him and TikTok, he was infamous for, for being called TikTok. Like it, everyone sort of maybe didn't know his first name, but knew him by TikTok. Um, he was 
you, you always see him running and he'd a smile on his face and that's where you go to show like you're sort of saying you know people everyone seems everyone does have problems no matter how happy you are and it's just talking to somebody and opening up and you know getting that release like you had the release earlier about chatting to somebody in a smoking room something as simple as that like if you hadn't had that chat maybe you don't know what would have happened but thankfully you you got that release you needed and I suppose it's it's a, a fitting tribute to him that you're out running and uh, I'm sure he's looking down on you and it was a nice it was a nice uh, we touched when you start when you were starting the first song to come on just it's little things like that that I don't think are coincidences and uh, it's a, I suppose I put a smile on your face when you, when you started and got you through the got you through the run no matter how hard it was. Yeah, if it had been at the end, uh, I would every time I finish a race, I done the Chicago Marathon, uh, and I raised money for the American F- uh, Suicide Foundation out here in 2019. And the last four miles, I was just calling my bollocks the whole time. <laughs> I was just looking up to the sky. I was like, "I'm doing this for you," you know. But uh, now, nah, look at the, the running. Is, is if there's anything kind of from my point of view has came out as a positive is I run every time I run I think about them you know what I mean every yeah. time I lace up my running shoes and um, I run now four or five times a week and it's just a, it's a nice little thing to remember them by you know and, and just keep keep his memory alive kind of uh, yeah. through what I'm doing you know anytime I do any races it's always TikTok now at the end yeah. of it no that's that's a nice tribute to, towards him and he was he was a good man so very nice tribute from and um, Moving on to look, it's it's not an an easy thing to talk about. It's it's still raw and it's been it's just recently recently happened in your life, I suppose. You wanna talk a little bit about Charlie May and just the little part of like whatever you're comfortable with talking about. I know it's still yeah. it's raw and it's it's recent as well. So if you wanna just talk to everyone like about how how, how everything happened and what you're Yeah, so I suppose before I talk, if anybody, just as a disclaimer, kind of before we get into it, this, we're going to be talking about baby loss now. Um, so if anybody's yeah. uncomfortable, like feel free to feel free to, to skip through. But yeah, in um, myself and Emily got married. We got married in 2018. And then a year later, we had a wedding because we had to just to get the green card and things like that. So already, you know, so we, we had to do it earlier. And we decided then, you know, we we'd like to have a child we'd like to have one child that was that was our plan all along and last uh i think it was probably august or it would have been september i found out uh not long after we had started heading the game because i remember when i found out we were pregnant you lads were some of the first lads i told you know that we were expecting um and all the way all the way through the the first trimester and the first part of the pregnancy you know everything was great Emily was going into our meetings it was obviously during Covid so I, I was only allowed into the initial meeting with her and then I was going to be allowed into the 20 week scan um, so December 15th we went in for the 20 week scan and I, I wasn't allowed in for the ultrasound I was allowed in for the conversation with the doctor after Yeah. and Emily was getting the scan done and she was saying you know Charlie's not moving around that much she's a bit lazy but you know she's still active you know she's still there uh, but then the, the nurse went out and she came back in and she didn't really say Aunt to Emily too much. You know, she wasn't as bubbly as she was in the, when she first came in the room. And Emily didn't think too much of it. She came out and I went in with her to the to the um to the room to speak to the doctor, you know, and the doctor was uh 
it was late coming in. She said, you know what, she came in and she's looking through her sheet and she's like, oh, everything looks good, everything looks good. And she's like, oh, wait, um, there's an issue with Charlie's heart, there's an issue with the baby's heart. And she said, you know, it feels like, uh, or it looks like there's a problem with her left ventricle in her heart. She said, my advice to you is uh, go go see a specialist and I would do it in the next seven days, is what she said to us. You know, which coming yeah. off to Christmas, seven days later, or Christmas Eve, I think it was, uh, or the couple of days before Christmas Eve. So we managed to get in to see a specialist. Uh, well, the, doc- the doctor was like, don't be too concerned, but don't look it up. And that kind of stuck with us, you know. She's like, don't look it up, you'll only scare yourself. And we're like, oh, Jesus Christ. Yeah. Um, but we managed to get in two days later. Again, because of coronavirus, Emily was only allowed up to, she had to get a fetal echocardiogram. So it was like a, an ultrasound, but to do it, I, I can't even really explain it, but um, it's it's a more direct version of an ultrasound. Like it's more, you know, you can see it more or whatever. Yeah. And Emily had to FaceTime me and I was down in the lobby of the hospital and she had to FaceTime me and the two of us were told, she was told by the doctor and I was on FaceTime that Charlie had a condition called hypoplastic left heart syndrome, um, which in America, 400 babies are born per year, which is 0.1% of all the babies that are born in America per year. You know, so yeah. I think there's 4,000 babies have heart problems and only 400 of those 4,000 or 40,000 or something like that, but only 400 are born per year with this. And Emily's doctor has since told us they see someone with a case of this I think it's once every three and a half years they see someone with what Charlie had, you know, so it was probably the rarest heart defect we could get, you know, and the specialist told us, you know, if Charlie made it to, um, if Charlie made it to full term, she was going to have to hopefully last four days. If she lasted four days by day seven, so they said four days, we found out since that, the average lifespan is four and a half days for people to have, or for, for babies yeah. that are born with HLHS. Um, she would need open heart surgery after seven days. And then after, if she survived that, so she'd have to stay in hospital again. If she, if she survived that, I think it was after six months, she was going to need an additional open heart surgery. Um, and if she survived that one, she was going to need a heart surgery, probably somewhere between the age of two, anywhere between the age of two and four. And eventually she was going to need a full heart transplant. So that weekend was just horrible stuff. It was just horrific. So that was the Thursday. Um, on Saturday, we were the two of us were just devastated. The two of us just woke up. We just weren't yeah. able to do that, you know, and we were like, we need to talk to someone. And we had to call the National Suicide Hotline in America because there was no nobody else we could speak to. Everyone works nine to five Monday to Friday so there was literally nobody we could talk to and we had to talk to some fella not about being suicidal just about being devastated with the news for our daughter you know um, and then Monday Monday and Tuesday Emily had two procedures and you know uh, we lost her you know we lost her on the Tuesday we woke up Tuesday morning Emily done a Facebook post there recently because the due date was was two weeks ago we woke up and she was kicking. We could feel her kicking on Tuesday morning and we uh by three o'clock Tuesday she was gone. You know, she had yeah. she had passed. Um and it was just the time was just devastating. I mean, it was twenty one weeks into the pregnancy, but we had a name, we were starting to get a room ready, you know, everything. This was this was our daughter and, and when she passed, it's that future that we wanted to have with her. 
passed away as well, you know, and then just the aftermath of it all was just, it was very, very hard. And I'm very thankful of yourself and the lads that are involved in heading the game for everything you have done to kind of help me personally get through a lot of it. Um, but it's just, it's opened my eyes to everything. Like you, you know yourself, like there's some days where I'll be chatting and I'm full of life. And then a half hour later, I'm, I'm the worst. I'm in foul humor. Like it just hits you at different times. And it's trying now, like, you know, again, me trying to, I'm hoping this conversation is going to help people because people have reached out to me, especially fellas, because a lot of the studies show, and this is, this is no slight against the women because the women are absolute heroes in these situations. Like Emily yeah. had to go through surgeries and, you know, even people that have full-term pregnancies, you know, they go through all the physical stuff. Yeah. Like while Emily was in surgery, I was contacting, I was contacting a funeral home to arrange a cremation for a baby that I'm never, ever going to see. You know what I mean? And it's just, it's just, it's look, it's horrible. Um, But I'm hoping having this conversation today and people listening in might speak up a little bit more, you know, and they can, they can reach out to me on social media and things like that there. But it's just been, it's been horrible. And then, then people tell you, uh, and people have the best intentions, but nobody knows. You know, people expect you to lose a parent or a grandparent. You know, people that, that's expected. Yeah. People don't expect you to lose a child. And particularly whether someone miscarries, has a stillbirth, has what Charlie had, or if they die, you know, during labor and stuff like that, if the, if the baby passes during labor. A lot of it is like, people will say to you, you know, well, you can have another one. Or you'll be parents at some point, but we were, like, we are parents, you know, our daughter's yeah. just not living, and it's, people mean it with the best of intentions, and I don't mean to sound rude if, if people have said that to me and stuff like that there, you know, or, or said that to Emily, but by saying it, you're discounting the fact that Charlie was some something, you know, like, on her due date, on the 4th of May, I went and got her footprints, because we got her footprints after, after Emily's surgery, we asked them, could we get something to give us our footprints, I have her footprints tattooed on me back, so you can't tell me that she wasn't, Charlie yeah. wasn't a somebody, you know what I mean? And we had to go, like, we have a death certificate, we have a fetal death certificate. <coughs> so there's been, it's a mix of sadness, a mix of anger, you know, because we're literally, it's, a, it's almost like a one in a million thing that could have happened, you know what I mean? And Yeah. But we found, we found this fantastic support group out here who have other people that are in similar situations to me and Emily and you know they're the people that really can understand what you're going through and those people have been amazing you know telling their stories it's it's the worst group we've ever had to join and we wish every one of us wish we were never in it but we're very grateful that we have each other and, and things like that there you know but it's uh yeah it's just been <clears throat> it's just been horrible it's yeah just been. we just want to say on behalf of myself and all the lads and everyone involved in heading the game that we pass on our deepest sympathies towards you and um, excitement and the buzz of a of a new baby especially your first child as well so we, we were all devastated and heartbroken for you and I suppose we just yourself and Emily we just tried to support you and look lift you up any way we could and we just tried to you know any it was it was probably the toughest time I'm sure you'll probably say it was probably the toughest time in your life so like we just wanted to let you know we we're all here for you and we we're all deep, deeply sorry for your loss, yourself and Emily. So Yeah, no, I appreciate that, Steph. And you know, it's as tough as it is again, thankfully having something like heading the game and, and having gone through some of the stuff I've gone through previously. Um 
I feel like I was look I, I was never equipped for the, the pain that I feel because I don't think I ever felt the love of anything till the day that we found out what was wrong with Charlie and that and the day that we lost her you know and that whole time around that you don't realise what that love is and, and you can attest with your, with your own kids you don't know what the love yeah. is till you have, have a child and even though she's not here with us the love that we have for her to, the, to this day is just you know never leave us yeah it'll never leave us um, to the extent that in May, May, April 4th to May 4th in the build up to the due date um, we done a fundraiser which was 100k for Charlie May and it's just that the impact she has had in me and Emily's life is going to last us till the day we die till the day we're back with her you know and it's just making sure that she has an impact on the world and thankfully we've raised we raised I think it was $10,400 um, for two different charities one was the support groups that we're a part of and the other one was the Fetal Health Foundation so they both got fifty two hundred each, and hopefully, pardon me, hopefully they will be able to help um, some of you know the, the Fetal Health Foundation can do research into this because there's there's no rhyme or reason why Charlie had this you know so they can yeah. do some research into into hypoplastic left heart syndrome and into how how it happened and or how it happens because I think the oldest living person with this is thirty five years of age you know in the whole world. Um, yeah. So it's still something they're still researching all the time. And then with regards to the support groups, it's just look at it, it, that money is going to help people that are in similar situations, those people that are maybe about to go into something similar to what we've gone through. It's just look, it's just going to help help people, you know, and it's it's going to it's going to be done in her name. It's not me and Emily that's doing it. It's, it's Charlie May that's pushing people to do it and it's keeping her name out there. Yeah, it's a it's a it's a lovely touch to to do the fundraiser in, in Charlie May's name. So fair, fair play to the Bodies and everyone else that got involved and people donated. And it's, it's greatly appreciated by those that you sent it on to. So fair play to you as all. Well. I suppose, uh, like, look, we've we've gone through a lot and we've, we've gone through your life story. And I suppose you want, you want to end on a, on a bit of a positive note and some, something that, like, I suppose, two questions I really want to ask you. Something that you know, you really look back fondly on firstly and then obviously just what plans you have for the future upcoming. Uh so something just in my general life that I look back on fondly. Yeah, just anything at all, I suppose. It can be football, family related, it can be anything at all. Something so one of your fondest memories, I suppose, that you have. Um put me on the spot with that uh, one. I, I suppose look at if if we're talking in football terms. I would say one of me, one of the mo- moments that I'm proud of is kind of when I was with uh, Dundalk in 2010 in the Europa League. Uh, Wayne Hartswell was the assistant manager, and the rule is you had to have a second named person on the bench. Yeah. Um, Martin Connolly went on on a holiday. I think he went on a holiday every like two or three weeks when he was involved in the dog. But <laughs> he went on holiday, so he didn't get to come out to Luxembourg with us. Hats was playing, and I, I had my youth there at the time, so I was the only one on the bench that had a coaching badge. So I was the in name only, I was the assistant manager and Europa League qualifier. So that's something that, even though Fozzie, Fozzie asked me a question and when I answered it, he told me to fuck off. But uh, <laughs> uh, he said it was rhetorical. But um, no, I suppose, look, at from football terms, the chance to even just have that, like I still have the sheet of paper, it's back home in Calvin, that has me written down as the assistant manager on it. You know, just having yeah. something like that there is a, is a great experience. And, and those two years where I was kept man involved with the first team, I have a runners-up medal from the Satanta Cup that year. I think just that involvement is... is. I look back on it now as a coach and a lot of the lessons that I 
I took an awful lot out of that into how I coach and how I do things and, and professionalizing kind of with the teams that I work with. And then in life, I, I suppose, as, as, as cliche and as cringy as this will probably sound, I suppose meeting Emily, you know, yeah. to be honest, it's just, uh, as it, like I said earlier on, she changed my life, you know, she absolutely changed my life. So I suppose uh, when I met her, I think I met her, and, and you'll know this, Steph, I'm a big wrestling fan as well. I met her two days before the Royal Rumble. I didn't want to meet her on a, on a Sunday because I knew the Royal Rumble was on, but we had such a good time. I went and met her on the Sunday anyway for a second date. So I yeah. said, she must, she, it must be serious if I'm willing to miss out <laughs> on, uh, on the wrestling for her. But yeah, no, meeting Emily was probably the, in my personal life. Yeah, no, that's two, two cracking uh, crack memories. and uh, Talking about my two loves. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Look, it's uh, I'm, like there's a lot of people out there that that aren't so lucky. So look, it's two, it's two great memories. Have and just f- finally, then like future plans. Like are you, you're setting up in the states now, I suppose, and um, we can't catch a home at all. Yeah, well, I mean, look, I, I I've just applied for my USB license. I've done my UFB. Um, I'm enjoying the coaching. Um, for the most part, it's it look it's tough work when you're doing it seven days a week, but it's I, I love what I do. I, yeah, I love I love what I do. Um, eventually, I'd like to get me a UFA license as well in the not too distant future. Um, through the FEI, so I'll never say never. You know, yeah, um, yeah. I could get home yet, but it, no, look at my focus right now is on just making sure that myself and Emily are doing all right. Um, and again, I suppose it's the head in the game you know it's seeing how far we can take this baby um, yeah. and ho- hopefully we can keep it going you know and I, I just want to say again to everybody that supported us from day one to now uh, buying jerseys just retweeting and liking different things that we do I, I just want to say just a massive thank you to everybody you know it's been really uh, it's, uh, uh, as we said at the beginning it's been really fulfilling um, on a personal level to be a part of this and it's it's only going upwards but it, that's all due to the support that we're getting yeah yeah it's been fantastic and I just want to echo, echo what you've said there and just thank everyone I stumble a wee bit on that one yeah, you've ever always smiling face there but look um, no just to thank everyone that's helped out everyone's been fantastic with us people are going out of the way to help us and coming up with suggestions for fundraisers and different things so look we're, we're just very grateful and we're blown away by all the support and we'll just keep getting stronger and stronger and keep helping people, which is the main goal. So, um, look, not to not to keep you any longer. I'm, I'm not sure what what time it's over there in the states. You might have to go and do a full day's job now. So, um, it's been fantastic speaking to you. It's even per- like I know you personally. Uh, some of the things through your life that I didn't know, didn't fully understand where you were at the time and stuff like that. It's been so interesting and. Again, hopefully some some people listen to it and watch it and take a few things from it and realize that, you know you aren't alone in these things and if you go and speak to somebody it's a massive help and and, and like the release you got from from just speaking to somebody one of your friends really helped you out so hopefully people can take something from it and look thanks again for coming on and having the chat Dean Mr Chairman. <laughs> Yeah, no bother at all, Steph. And as I said, just before uh, before I go, if anybody's affected, obviously, by that and we've talked about, um, feel free to message our, our, any of our social medias, but get in touch with uh, with Jigsaw and Shine, our two charity partners as well, and, and keep giving them support. As much as support as you give us, make sure you give them support as well, all right? 